Would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5? I've got some things the Lord put, put on my heart to share with you today, and I pray to be a blessing with you. I, I'm, I am, you know, I believe in miracles. I'm, <laughs> I'm trusting the Lord will give me the ability not to keep you here too long today. <laughs> but that might take a miracle. Uh, if, if I ask for an amen, that may be one of the biggest amens we got all day. But um, I believe the Lord can share with you what you need in less time than what sometimes preachers like to take. And I are one. So would you join with me? I, I'm, I am, if I put a title on this, I'm just saying preparing for rain. Okay? Preparing for rain. But I'm in, in Matthew chapter 5, and I feel like I just need to pray, so I'm going to do that. Father, I thank you, dear Lord, for your word because it is so pregnant with life and with truth. And God, it nourishes us to the core of our being, not just the flesh like Marty's barbecue. But Lord, when we eat of your word, dear God, it nourishes us fully. And we have what we need to sustain us in life, dear God. So Lord, today as we open your word and we share, God, we're looking to your word that's written, dear God, but we're also looking for Words that come from the throne of Lord, the throne of God, and inspire our hearts, dear Lord. Speak to us this day, and speak through me, dear Lord. And God, I'll give you the praise and the glory for it. Thank you, Lord God. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. Amen. In Matthew chapter 5, this is one of the most famous passages, one of the most famous um, um locations of, of Jesus speaking it's called uh, Jesus sermon on the sermon on the mount but Jesus gathered on the mountainside gathered his disciples and there were crowds that gathered to him and he started out with what is called the Beatitudes blessed are is how we're familiar with reading it again just to let you know hope you don't get upset about this but my this year the Lord encouraged me and I felt I felt moved to study using the New Living Translation. It's been a blessing to me. It communicates things a little bit differently, so it may be different to what you have. But um, if it is different, I trust that that will cause you to dig deep, study hard, go ahead and look at the scriptures you have, but dig it out, study it out. And I, I love the way it communicates this, but it starts out in verse 3. Jesus is ex expressing uh, blessings that and, and people that are blessed because of their heart and the way that they're viewing life and it says here in verse 3 God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him did you get that God blesses those who are poor and realize they need for their need for him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs for those people who realize they're dependent on the Lord and they need the Lord it says that the kingdom of heaven is theirs. For those people who are completely confident in themselves, I don't need God, I'm going to put God on the shelf for now, and when I need him, I'll go get him. That's a hard road, folks. But if we live life with an understanding that, you know, God may have given us abilities and God may have given us an education, may have experience, but I'm only going to call on God when it's convenient or where I get desperate, that, that's a hard road. But even with all the equipping and all the things that God's put in your life, if we keep God right in the middle of that, blessed are you. Blessed are you. And I'm not going to read through all of the things. I really want to jump over to verse 6. And, and it reads differently than it does in your translation, possibly, unless you're reading this one. But it says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. Our, our usual reading is for righteousness. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. This one says for justice. And it says, for they will be satisfied. Now, I'm going to tell you that the two readings, even though they're actually communicating the same thing, when I read those two different, uh, two different ways of, of reading that, they hunger and thirst after righteousness versus they hunger and thirst, or, thirst after justice, they, they express something different to me. So can I take just a moment and, and talk about that? When I read it and said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, to me, the connotation that that builds in my thought process, in my mind, is that, that it's somebody's endeavor to live right or someone that's endeavoring to do the right thing. It's more of a personal type of expression 
I hunger and thirst after righteousness. I want to live the best that I can for the Lord. I want to dedicate and devote my life. I want to give my, my life sacrificially to the Lord. I, I want to I hunger and I thirst for righteousness. And when I read the other translation, it says, Blessed are those who, I mean, uh, it says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. To me, that communicates a little bit different. And when I read it, it talks about a broader scope that it's not just looking for righteousness on a personal level, but it's looking for something to be established externally, internally, and externally, that there be justice, which really, when you go back to the, just, the, the righteous and the justice are not in conflict with one another, but there's a broader scope of the effect of what's going on, that there is a hunger, that there's a, a, a deep desire to see justice extended. What is justice? Justice isn't just that something would happen according to the law, but because we're people of God, justice is that things are done according to God's purpose and God's plan. Our desire is that when we see the things that are going on in people's lives out there, that there would be, people would be treated fairly. God, God warned um, the leaders of the children of Israel. Now, when you, when you go back and look at those scriptures, the terms that are used for the leaders of Israel, uh, he talks about, he calls them shepherds a lot of times. We, a lot in the church, we assign the term shepherd to a pastor or someone like that. But really, he's talking about those who are in positions of authority or leadership over his people. In the scripture, he talks about the princes being in the shepherds, those who have political or or, uh, uh, you know, rule in the political arena, the princes over the people. And he also talks about the prophets that speak to the people. And he talks about the priests who have spiritual leadership over the people. But that he calls those people shepherds of the people of God. And that he wants to see them righteous and just towards the people. God hates injustice. He hates it when judges don't rule the way they're supposed to rule. He hates it when political figures use their, the weight of their authority for their own gain and not for the good of the people. God hates when spiritual leaders use their position of authority for their own gain and not for a blessing for the body of Christ. He hates it. God wants justice. And this scripture says that God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. And it's one thing for us to live our lives in such a way that we are encapsulating ourselves and trying to create a safe space and a pure space and a withdrawal from society so that our own little cocoon of life can be a perfect, righteous cocoon or we do things just right or we can say, you know, I'm doing everything I can. But folks, as the body of Christ, we are to infuse life into our community, to infuse life into the people that we come in contact with in our jobs and, and uh, in our goings about. We're supposed to be the fragrance of Christ. How many of you had a bottle of perfume or cologne sitting on the shelf, and it can sit there for years? And after a while, you're like, now what did that smell like? I, I, and in order to get that fragrance, what do you have to do? You don't sit there and just kind of remember. You open it and take a sniff. You, 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 you smell it. I remember being a little kid. We went to South Africa. and We were Christmas shopping, and we went back by a perfume counter, and I maybe was 11 years old, and my brother, who was five years older, Philip, he said, hey, David, come here and smell this. And this is not spiritual, okay? Maybe not. Maybe you can find some kind of spiritual application. But I came over to smell this perfume, and he turned around and went, and just sprayed it all over me. And it was one of those really strong, this was not a cologne, okay? This was a perfume. And I was 11 years old, but I tell you, it bothered me that I was walking around that store. I could smell that flowery sweet smell everywhere i went he sprayed me with a lady's perfume and everywhere i went there was no way to clean it off i was that was me for the day i was fragrant everywhere i went and I, it just embarrassed me it messed with my manhood thank you still a man but i don't wear perfume but anyhow 
all day long. I couldn't help myself. I was carrying the fragrance around with me, and I couldn't help it. It wasn't the fragrance that I wanted to have. But folks, we are to bear the fragrance of Christ. You may not be able to contain it. Ralph is going spiritual. You may not be able to, to, you may not even realize the fact that you're coming in contact with people, but they're getting a scent because of your life and the way you live. Is it Christ that they're experiencing? Is it Christ that they're coming in contact with? Is the fragrance that they get from our lives something that, that captivates them? You know, your olfactory senses are one of the, the, the most powerful memory stirrers that we have. When you smell something and it smells good, apple pie makes you start salivating. You can almost smell it when you think about it. You you're start, we had a boxer dog and you could hint at food for him and he'd just start drooling down the side. You can talk about food. I could sit here this morning and start talking about food. I guess I'm already doing it. And already your mouth will start salivating because you're anticipating food. Your body starts kicking into gear to receive something. Well, what do people experience when they experience us? What fragrance lingers in their senses? What do they recall? Do they come in contact with something and say, whew, that person, they could use a little shower to shower or a little right guard and left guard too. But what is it that they remember about us? Or do they come in contact with a, a fragrance that they're like, there's something about that person? I know Cecile sometimes smells uh, a fragrance on people. She says, I, I remember that. I know that. I need to find out what that is. She's mentioned there's a certain fragrance that she keeps coming in contact with, and she wants to find out what it is. But w do people have that same desire when they come in contact with us? What fragrance do we leave? Is it the fragrance of Christ that makes them want to know more about Christ? That's the way that we should be. But folks, what we have experienced and what we are, are experiencing in Christ should not just stay with us. It is something that should impact our community and impact our nation and impact the world as we come in contact with it. And I just want to, I'm going to throw that way up there for just a little bit. Will you turn me to 1 Kings? And let's go to 1 Kings chapter 16. Because, folks, it's easy. And I hear Christians all the time just ticks me off. Was that religious? I don't think it was religious, but it does tick me off to hear people all the time talking about all the bad that's out there and all the things that need to be put in order, but they're not doing a thing about putting something in order. They'll talk about the politicians. Did they go vote? Talk about all the things going on there that are out of place, but they're not doing anything about it. How do you think change happens? If God can't activate his people to get out there, who are you looking for, looking to for your solutions? If you who have Christ are not willing to get out there and do something about it, where do you expect the world to get their solutions from? To just pop it out of the air? Unless there's godly counsel or godly people that are willing to get active in, in the process, what do we expect? So Kings chapter 16 speaks about Israel in a terrible state. The nation of Israel was in a terrible state. Look at verse 29. And I'm just going to run through the story right here. I'm not going to take the time to read it because it'll just take up too much time. But Ahab had become king. And it says that Ahab ruled for 22 years. Ahab was a wicked, wicked man. Matter of fact, more than one time it says in there, it said, but Ahab, I'm abbreviating verse 30, did what was evil in the Lord's sight even more than any of the kings before him. Now, if you go back and you read the history of the kings before him, there were some bad hombres out there, people that did wicked things before the Lord. But it said that Ahab did worse than all of those people. He was worse than all of the ones that had preceded him. And then he turns around, not only is he doing wicked things, but he said he turned around and he married Jezebel. Jezebel was the daughter of a, a foreign king of the Sidonians. And he said that he, Ahab, began to bow down and worship Baal. I don't know how many of you, I, I, I went back and, and reviewed some of the things about Baal, but Baal worship was horrendous. And it was manifest in a lot of the, the nations in that area in different forms and in different ways. But one of the things that, that became a part of Baal worship was 
Uh, and let me just describe Baal. Baal was seen as the god of the storms and the god of rain. So in, with rain brought fertility for crops and things like that. But, but um, a, part of, a part of his worship, uh, I know that specifically this history speaks about in Carthage and in other places even in the Middle East, that they would take young children and sacrifice them in the fires to Baal. I've seen uh, images portrayed where there was like um, uh, Baal is portrayed in different forms depending on the culture that, that you're talking about. But in one portrayal, there were hands like bronze altar with hands like this and the Baal God was there and they would, and they would have a scorching fire from underneath and this, these, these burning hands out there and they would place babies in these hands. And the babies would end up falling through the hands into the fire. But can you imagine the corruption of the mind of people to take their own physical children and place them in the, in the arms of a, of a hideous, grotesque thing like that and sacrifice their own children in order for their own prosperity, for their own gain, to, to appease a God so that they can have great crops and, and be blessed. But, but Baal was considered a, a god of fertility, but he was a god of storms and the rain. As a matter of fact, there are certain seasons in that area where there is no rain. It's a dry season. And they believed that at that time that Baal would descend down to the underworld and be in the underworld, and then they looked forward to the spring when Baal would reemerge from the underworld and they would, they would worship and things that would go on. And they actually would uh, have um, um, rites and things that they would do to commemorate the time when Baal would descend into the underworld and then things that would happen when he would come up. And, and anyhow, it was just here, here the, the king of Israel set up, he not only was bowing down to Baal, but he said he built a temple for Baal in Samaria. He built a temple and an altar in the land of Israel to worship this pagan deity. And then it says he set up an Asherah pole as well. So he was just cultivating this worship of uh, idolatry in the nation. He said he did more, look at, look at verse uh, 33, he did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any other king in Israel before him. You know, we can look around and we can see people in, in office and we see people that do things that make us angry and everything. I thank the Lord that that, that corruption has not become that vile in our nation. I'm just going to step back. I'm going to talk about something that maybe you may not be comfortable with, but I'm going to sh- share with you something that you, you may not be aware. But you know, we had this, this Kavanaugh, um, when, when Judge Kavanaugh was going through the approval, it was interesting to me to hear about how in the processes of approval that they were calling for pastors to pray and calling for ministers to come and pray and pray concerning him and praying for his approval and things like that. Folks, I don't know if you heard this, but there is abundant testimony, it was even on the news, that those opposing him actually brought witches and warlocks to come and and stand and pray against his approval. I cannot believe that in this nation that such a, a blatant thing would be done. <clears throat> Lord help our nation when those in leadership will stoop to those type of things in order to to fight against it. In the middle of this, let's go back. In the middle of this with with Elijah. All this corruption, all this going on, Elijah, a man of God stood up and rather than just cocooning himself and hiding himself away, moved by God, he steps forward and he does something. Now, folks, it is amazing to think that God can do this. There are some very powerful uh, testimonies in Scripture about God changing circumstances and situations in order to display himself. How about, um, was it with Joshua when, where time was added? There was one, how much time was it, Ralph? It stopped for a while while the battle could continue. And I heard that when NASA was going, you know, they can track the order of the heavens and everything like that. When NASA was going back and mapping time, they found missing time frames. 
and they didn't know how to answer that. And so when they got to researching, somebody stepped forward and told them about biblical accounts where God stopped time. And when they fit those things into place, it brought the, the alignment back. The time, it, it matched up with time frame. There was a, a testimony in the heavens to what God said in his word where God stopped time. <laughs> I love it. But just think of God using a man or woman of God to step up and, and speak something out there in line with what God's already desiring to do, and it actually shifts things in the cosmos to align with what God's purpose and plan is. This is an account like this. It talks about Elijah here. It says, in verse seven, chapter 17, verse 1, Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe, or a Tishbite, from Gilead, told King Abraham, so he is stepping in front of the king and telling the king this, okay? As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Can you imagine that? Now, there are days that we have where we don't have rain for a few days. But if I go walking outside in my socks or barefoot or something like that, my feet are going to get wet because there's going to be dew come out of the ground. To go for several years, and the prophet said, there's not going to be any rain nor dew until I give the word. Authorized. Boom. C can you imagine moving in that, in that power? Now, I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of Christians who like to pray powerful things, earth-moving things, and some are inspired by God, and some are in, in, personally inspired. And, but if you're going to make a proclamation, I just want to say this, and I think this is important, the Spirit of the Lord. If you're going to make a proclamation authorized by God in this kind of arena, one thing that's missing a lot of times is the audience. What good would have been for Elijah to sit back and in his prayer closet make a declaration, there's not going to be any rain for the next several years until I say so. And all of a sudden, the whole nation is suffering a drought, but nobody knows why. If God was speaking a judgment and revealing himself, believe it, even the judgment of God's are beneficial to us if it helps realign things back to where we're supposed to be. But there needed to be an audience in this situation. What good would have been for that prayer to happen without there being an audience? If he had not spoken to the king and said, this is why. You know what they would have done? They just would have said, okay, we're trying to appeal to Baal for rain, and Baal's not, we need to sacrifice more. We need to do more to try to appeal. And they would have just kind of poured on what they've been doing, and all that injustice would have continued to happen, and all that vile practice would have continued to happen even more with much more devotion to try to appeal to Baal. But it had already been defined. Look, folks, the reason why this is happening is because Elijah the prophet said there's not going to be any rain. You, I, I want to I get that. I want to get that across to you. Sometimes you may be praying for something and you may be praying in your closet when God needs you to step out of the closet and, and our scope may not be national. Our scope may be a family member that needs a word from the Lord. And I'm not just talking about speaking judgment, but I'm saying sometimes we need to go speak to their face. It, it's good to pray for them, but sometimes there's got to be a one-on-one -on -one communication so that people can understand what's going on. Why am I going through this? What, what is the remedy for this? And people need a, a direct, I'm going to use the word confrontation, but they need that experience so they know what and what's going on and what the remedy is. Now, I'm going to tell you, Ahab, when he gets up the next day and there's no rain and there's no dew, what does he think about? He doesn't say, I wonder what happened. Where's the dew? He's like, that Elijah, he did it. We're going to blame Elijah. So anyhow, God made provision for Elijah. I'm not going to take time with that, but you see that God sent him down to the, to the, the Kirith brook, and God had supernatural provision for him. A little bit later, the brook dried up, and it would be easy for the prophet to say, God, did you forget about me? I had it. You know, I know everybody else has been suffering, but you were at least providing for me. But God says, no, I want you to go down to the, the widow. You got, God, even in the middle of this, was concerned for the widow who would be suffering. Look. This was a corporate suffering among the people of God. Everybody was experiencing the lack of rain and the drought. I lived in a country that had no rain for three years. 
And as a young boy, I can remember driving along in what at one time was a grassy area. You know, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about a field out there. I'm talking about driving for, for miles and miles and miles and it just being completely dry. What grass you saw were little dry twigs sticking up out of the ground that the cows hadn't already come by and munched on. And the cows got so depleted. I mean, there were dead cows all over the place, but the cows that were still living, the, the African people would literally have to put sticks underneath them in the morning and raise them up off the ground. And if they sagged back down in a day, they'd have to lift them back up. And I mean, it was a meager existence. People were dying and, and starving and things like that. And that was a three-year drought. And, and we see here that that, uh, I mean, Israel had to have been going through that. Things don't live. Grass doesn't grow. Plants don't grow when they don't have rain. Even this brook that had been his sustenance dried up. And God said, I want you to go down to the widow. And he went down to the widow. The widow was down there um, just, just uh, preparing to, she said all she had was just a handful of grain. She was going to make a cake and then she and her son was gonna, were going to die. I mean, folks, that's not that you've been fat up to this one last meal. That's you're depleted. You're, you're at such a place of starvation that you know this may be the last time we ever eat, and then our bodies will not be able to sustain themselves for another several days. They were already that depleted. And the prophet goes down there and says, look, would you give me something to drink? And so she, she moves to go and give him something to drink. And then as she's moving to do that, I mean, she's willing in this desperate place to serve the prophet. And then he says, and, and while you're doing that, would you go ahead and make me a cake so that I can have something, you know, make me a little cake so that I can have something to eat. And she's like, and then she stopped. She said, I, I, I've got my last little bit of grain, and then I'm going to make that, and then my son and I are going to die. And the prophet said, well, go ahead and do that, and the Lord will see to it that you're sustained. And so he ended up staying with the house, and God sustained the widow and her son and the prophet in that house with food throughout the duration of that, that time. And then she said, her son died, God resurrected the son, and in verse 20, in, in 17, 24, she said, then the woman told Elijah, after everything she'd been, she'd been through, now I know for sure that you're a man of God <coughs> and that the Lord truly speaks through you. And then it says in chapter 18, in the third year of the drought, the Lord said to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab the king and tell him that, that I will soon send rain. I mean, the message has been delivered. He knows about the rain. He already knows about the drought. He knows why the drought's there. But now the message come, comes said, I will soon send rain. <clears throat> It said this famine had been, become very severe. But before God would allow the rain to come, there was something that needed to be set in order. And it had to do with those prophets of Baal and the prophets that were serving Astaroth. And God takes them on the experience of my intention today is not to speak about this experience, but there was a Mount Carmel experience that had to happen. There had to be a revelation of who God was. And so... God encourages Ahab to bring all those prophets of Baal. There was over 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets that were serving Ashtoreth. And uh, they gathered together on Mount Carmel. And you know the story there. They bring two bullocks. And, and uh, Elijah says, look, you, you just go ahead and go first because there's a whole bunch of you. So I'll let you have your time first. But go ahead and call on your God. And whichever God answers with fire, that will be the God that we serve. Elisha's not concerned about them having some lightning bolt strike and everything work out. He says, look, build your altar, do whatever you do, cut up that bullock and put it on the altar, and whichever God sends fire from heaven, that God will serve. And he's like, y'all have at it. Just don't set fire to it. Let, let God answer. And uh, it says that, verse 26 of chapter 18, so they prepared one of the bulls and placed it in the altar, and, and then they called on the name of Baal. Those prophets did. From morning until about noontime, sh shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply. No reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. And about noontime, you got to love this, folks. About noontime, Elijah, <sighs> he says, he began mocking them. Um, you'll have to shout a little louder. 
He scoffed. He said, for surely, surely he's a god. P- perhaps he's daydreaming. Or, uh, he says, you got to love this. He says, perhaps he's daydreaming or he's relieving himself. Or maybe he's away on a trip or, or asleep. He needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder and following their normal customs, they cut themselves with knives and swords until blood gushed out. They're dancing around. They're frantic. They're trying to prove. Because, folks, it wasn't just about their testimony about Baal. They understood their lives were on the line. They had misled a nation into idolatry. They had been the ones who had gained from the idolatry of that nation, and God was exposing them. Don't think that when righteousness reigns up or rises up in our hearts and our lives and we start to make a testimony about the Lord and we start to demonstrate the power of God and we start to demonstrate the character and nature of God that somehow the enemy is going to be quiet and just kind of lay low. No, when you start exposing darkness, darkness reacts. But greater is he that's in us than he's in the world. Don't be afraid of what the enemy throws in your face or tries to do. Just stand on the rock. Stand on the rock. Stand in the anointing that God's given you. And God will show himself, show himself on your behalf. So anyhow, they shouted harder. They, they kept working at it. Finally, it says that, that after even in the afternoon when it came time for the evening sacrifice, the order of the Lord was being reestablished. It says that Elijah called an end to that. He said, and he says to the people, he said, come over here. And it says that he began to take those old rocks from the altar that was there, he took 12 stones, one representing every tribe, reestablishing the identity of the people of God, and he set those stones back in order. He rebuilt the temple of the Lord, the, the, the altar of the Lord, and he built it up. Then he took the bullock, and he, he put the wood on there. He cut up that bullock. He put the bullock on the altar, and then he turns around, and he says, look. He said, we need to build a trench around here. So he dug a trench around the altar, and he says, go get some water jars big water jars and fill them up with water and I want you to take them and, and pour them on this altar you know if there's going to be a fluke spark or flicker we're not going to have that so he poured the jars of water and he said now go do that again and so they got more water and they just doused the sacrifice with water they doused the wood with water and then he said one more time and so three times they soaked that altar with water and then he stepped back and I have to read it just so that we're hearing it the way it, it says. It, it says, at the usual time for the offering for the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed, "O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God, we know where we've been. We've seen your hand in the past. We know the promises that you gave back then. Prove today that you are a God of Israel." And that I am your servant. God, we know. I'm, I just come from my heart. God, we know the testimony of your word and what you've done in the past. But God, would you today show yourself again in our families and in our businesses and in our nation and in our homes, in our churches. Would you show again that you're our God, that you're alive and well, dear Lord, that you haven't forgotten about us, but that you still have a heart for people. Prove that I've done all this. I can't even read what I'm trying to read. Prove that I have done all this at your command, O Lord. Answer me. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Oh, Lord Jesus. There's so many suffering people in the earth around us, dear God. There's so many people that have been snared by the enemy. Is there a testimony? God, your word is true. God, do you have a people who are willing to go, your God, and to share that word with those that are lost? God, may, may it not be enough for us to know that you're our God, your Lord, but may we help them know that you're their God as well. Let your anointing be upon us again, your God. Let your anointing be fresh. We need fresh fire on the altar, your Lord, that we don't live in the glory of the past, your Lord, but we live in this day demonstrating who you are. Oh, Lord, answer me, answer me so that this people would know that you, the Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And it said immediately, 
the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. <laughs> but I thought water put out fire, not this kind of fire. You may try to dampen down the Spirit of the Lord all you want. The enemy may try to quiet you and keep you from saying what you feel like you're supposed to say. He may try to put out the fire of your testimony, but the fire will lick up the water. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed. I already read that. Verse 39. And when all the people saw it, they fell, on, fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Yes! The Lord is God. And Elijah, in what to us today doesn't seem very spiritual. Can you find me a tissue, honey? In what doesn't seem very spiritual, it said, Elijah seized all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one of them escape. So the people seized them all. Thank you, honey. And Elijah took them down to the Kidron Valley and killed them there. He eliminated the prophets. And there at that place, Ahab was observing. You know, it would have been very easy to turn and, and I don't exactly understand why, but Ahab had been a wicked king. He had brought this on the nation. He was the, the reason why it had been allowed to propagate. But Elijah turns to Ahab and said, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. <laughs> God had set things back in order with the nation. It was time for the curse to be broken and the blessing to come again. In the very, God went into Baal's sanctuary. God went into Baal's place of strength. If you go back and you study the old gods of the Old Testament and the gods that those nations served, each of them had their place of power. The sun god, the moon god, the river god. And, and God used the plagues of Egypt to demolish the strongholds of those gods. If you go back and study it, each one of those plagues came in direct confrontation to one of the gods that, that the Egyptians served. But right here, the, serve, the, the god that the Israelites had fallen into idolatry with, God stopped the rain. He was supposed to be the rain god. He was supposed to be the god of fertility, and God went right into his camp and said, No, no rain. And then when God demolished the worship, he said, the, the prophet said, I, I hear the sound of rain. <clears throat> I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. There was no, there was not a cloud in the sky. There wasn't a thunderclap in the heavens. There wasn't a bolt of lightning that had, had streaked across the sky. But the prophet said, I, I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. What do you hear in your spirit? I, is there are people today that can hear what God is, is desiring to do before they ever see a sign of it, before they ever read the headlines in the news, but they've got something churning on the inside and there's something moving on the inside. There's a creative force inside of them. Because see, the God spoke to me and he said, look, I've got things that I want to create. There's things I want to do that I'll put into your spirit, but you've got to be willing to walk it out. You've got to be willing to talk it out. You've got to be willing to take the things of heaven and birth them in the earth. Are we willing to be that kind of people? You know, it's easy to sit there and look at, a, at, a, at a Elijah and think, well, he's a great man of God. Look at all the things that he did. Elijah gets Ahab to take off and go, and, and go find some food, something to drink. He said, but Elijah, he climbed up on the top of Mount Carmel, the same place where he had that victory, and he gets up there. He said, and he bowed down low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. That might be a challenge for some of us. How low can you go? But he got down there in sincerity before the Lord, and he began to pray for God to send rain. And in the midst of his prayer, he knew that he was birthing something into the earth from the heavens. It wasn't that he was creating something. He wasn't trying to persuade God to do something. He was opening in the, in the realm of men, in the jurisdiction of men. He was calling for what God desired to come into being among men. I wish you could get a hold of that. Folks, God's put things in our jurisdiction down here in the earth and let's say you choose if you want life or death. You choose if you want blessings or cursings. 
in the realm of men. Rulers and authorities sit in seats of authority and they agree with the principles of God or disagree with the principles of God. They put laws in place to govern men that are sometimes in line with God's purposes and sometimes they put laws and allow laws in place or they're just silent to things that need to be established in righteousness and they're not. And when man puts a barrier to the blessings of God, we have pushed God out. But God still wants to bless. So our prayers unlock those doors of heaven. We strip back the walls of heaven or the doors of heaven. We say, God, we want you to come down. Reveal yourself. Demolish those strongholds of thought or strongholds of law or strongholds of jurisdiction. Show yourself, dear Lord. We invite you into our realm, dear God. And we pull what's in the heart of heaven down here to earth. Elijah had already heard that there was a rain coming. He knew what God wanted to do, but he got on his face until he saw it manifest. So he sends his servant. He said, go, go up there on the top and go look and tell me what you see. Go look towards the, the ocean. And the servant went up there with expectancy and he tur- returns back to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. I don't, I don't see anything going on. Well, maybe I missed it. Did you hear from heaven or not? Just because you haven't seen it yet doesn't mean it's not coming. Don't quit. Hear from heaven and then follow through. Go again. Go, go look again. Would you go look again? I know something's happening. I know something's going. Would you go look again? And so the servant goes up and he comes back. I don't, I don't see anything. Go again. It goes up again. And by this time, he's probably thinking, I think he's lost it. You ever had something in your heart that you felt like God put there and you prayed about it, you don't see it, and you think, well, maybe it was just me. Maybe I, I missed it. Don't give up. Participate with heaven. Birth it in the earth. Seven times Elijah told him to go. Don't you know after seven times climbing up the mountain, I climbed up one mountain to get to a church over in, in Columbia, and by the time I got to the top of that hill and a few times along the way, I had to stop because I was sucking wind. Well, here he's sending his servants seven times up the mountain to go look. And when he comes back on the seventh, sign, seventh time, he said, I, I see a little cloud about the size of a man's hand. It may not look like much, but there's something going on up there. We haven't seen this in over three years, but there's something going on. And just with the sign of a a cloud the size of a man's hand, the prophet knows that the word of God is being fulfilled. And he speaks and he says, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb on your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. God's moving. Folks, there's, there's a sound of rain. In the heavenly realms, God's wanting to do some things around us. God's wanting to do some things through us. Are we, are we willing to stand in the gap? Are we willing to be the person to speak out there into our society and into our families? God wants to move. There's a sound of rain. It said, soon the sky was black with clouds and a, a heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. And Ahab left quickly to Jezreel. It said, and then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. and He tucked up his loins and took off running. He outran the chariot all the way to Jezreel. (laughs) I'd love to be able to run like that. Empowered by God, the Spirit of God came upon him. What can God do through a people who are anointed? There's so much going on in the body of Christ that it makes my heart sick and I love God's body. I'm passionate about God's people. I know that we love traditions. We love to pigeonhole God. We love to figure Him out and try to make Him work within our frameworks. But God's just saying, would you just step up a little bit higher and start working in my framework? Folks, we put so many qualifications on people and make them look this way and look that way. and try to make them conform to the image that we think they need to look like and God's saying I think they're beautiful I think they're beautiful there's things that I can change in their heart I'm not concerned about all that outside stuff we can work on this just let me show you what I can do through them there's a lot of things that goes on that's going on in the body of Christ that shouldn't be there 
It shouldn't be a part of the story, but it is. Now, we're not perfect, but when God needs the people, where should we send him? To look for our people that are willing to do what he wants to do? Where would we have him go to find the people that are willing to speak into the hard situations? To put our lives on the line if necessary. Hope I didn't lose anybody when I said that. But to be the people that he's always longed for. Where, where should we send God to find a people like that? I don't want him to have to go anywhere. I want him to be able to look at us and say, there's someone that's got a heart after me. There's some God, I, I hear their heart. They're hungry for me. They're hungry to see justice. They're hungry to see righteousness in the earth. They're hungry to see people treated the way they're supposed to be treated. I don't have to look any further. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Here, here are we, Lord. Send us. Use us, oh God. We are so prone to looking for superheroes and the spiritual Captain American and the Avengers, for those of you who watch movies. But those heroes we can look to in the crisis and maybe they'll step up and do something about it because we're powerless to do this. We could read these stories and Elijah did it. If only we had an Elijah. If you turned over to James chapter 5, and I'm not going there, but I could. It's highlighted. James chapter 5, it says, Elijah was a man just like we are. But he prayed fervently. But he was a man, a woman. He's not a woman. <laughs> he was humanity just like we are. What does that mean? That means God could use us in the same kind of way if we would just give ourselves to that moment. That spiritual prompt that says, go speak, go do, go stand in the gap, go encourage, do the good deed, do the right thing in the face of adversity. Be willing to say something where no one's willing to say it. You be the Elijah. You be the Daniel. You be the voice of God. Why should he look any further than right here? The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. He's still hovering over creation, the waste places desiring to see the purpose of God fulfilled. He's still in our lives working inside of us but wanting to work through us over the things that are out of order so that they can be put into order in, in agreement with God's purpose and plan. Are we willing to be that people? I believe so. I know there are people here that are eager. And not only that, you've made yourself available. So be it, God. May it be an amen. May it be unto us according to your word. Would you stand with me? We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. I'm getting ready to pray, and we're going to close out the service. But I want to give a commendation. To somebody and there are many that I could and probably should be commending at this point but I, I just want to I want to identify some excellence that was pointed out to me this week in, and uh, they're not expecting this so it's going to be a shot but Chris and Denise I want to talk to you guys I saw you guys down there at the Whirly Gig Festival there was a lot of people serving and thank you everyone for everything you did and every prayer that was prayed but there's an excellence in your lives when it comes to sharing the gospel with people and a passion for it that we already know about. But even the way that you communicated, I had somebody come to me and they said, man, those guys were good. They seized every opportunity to be able to speak to people and to be able to share Christ and, and even to bust the excuses. Chris, you're seasoned. When somebody says, I believe in God, really? What do you believe about Him? You know, just get beyond the excuse. And, and there was a lot of things that they did down there that I won't take time to go through it. And, but there's things we can learn from them. There's things that we can learn from other ones of you. But, but that's an area where they're really good at. And we need to get gooder. In the Webster's, that means gooder. 
God, I commend you in that. Thank you for, for being an example in that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Folks, every one of you who's a child of God, God's got a gift inside of you. As a body, we're incomplete without you standing in your place and doing what God gets. Now, it, it's not just about this local body. It's about the body of Christ as a whole. But, but don't settle back and don't be com- content to, play, to stay in a place of withdrawal and, and pull back into a cocoon. And, and don't try to perfect your own personal space. And not be willing to step out into the other space. There's more. You need to be doing more outside of your box. Okay? Don't allow the enemy to pull you back. I want to stir up the gifts inside of God's people and just say, we need you. The body of Christ needs you. It's not just this house. It's the extended body of Christ. You've got relationships with other believers or people you're coming in contact with. God needs you to be active. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. God. We're all guilty of having our own bales and asterisks, dear Lord, that we court or worship. God, there are things in our lives that aren't the way they should be. And God, we just want to put the knife to those things today, dear God. Expose them to us so that we recognize places where we're not allowing you to be Lord and where we've substituted other things for you. So be merciful to us in that, dear Lord, and draw us back to yourself and reveal to us that you're our God. But God, I want to ignite something in this house today, dear Lord, that we would come before you and stand before your altar this day and make that declaration that you are our God and we are your people, dear Lord. So God, if you need something done in this earth, dear Lord, look no further. We make ourselves available. I want you to ignite the churches that are around us, dear God, your body of Christ in this area. I want to keep on moving all around the world, but I don't have time to do it. But God, would you, would you manifest yourself in our area? God, would you show yourself strong, send some fire down on that old altar, dear God, and make it fresh all over again. Lap up everything that's there, dear God. Take every, even the soggy mess that we've made. And God, purify it once again. And Lord, let your church be a fiery demonstration of the power and the dominion of the Lord God Almighty. May we speak truth where truth is needed. May we stand against injustice where there's injustice, dear Lord. May we, may we be kind and generous where that's needed but god may we may we be mindful of the fact that we are establishing the kingdom of god in the hearts and minds of men and the gates of hell won't prevail against it so god commission us as your ambassadors into this earth empower us with your anointing and your holy spirit and god may your will be accomplished in jesus name amen amen i look forward to hearing what god does Amen. Be blessed.